What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. Well, we're going to be continuing our series tonight on the foundations of faith. And uh, we're going to be continuing tonight with what is man? We're going to be looking at the topic of what is man? And we're going to be looking at that topic from two places, really. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. In Ephesians chapter 2. But really, if you want to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1, that's really where we're going to spend the majority of our first point. But before we get started, let me pray over our time under the word one more time. Dear Father, thank you so much for giving us revelation. Thank you for giving us a way to know you, a way to know ourselves. Father, I pray tonight that you would empower my words, that you would let nothing come out of my mouth that isn't right and true and in line with your word. Father, I pray that those who would hear your word tonight those who would hear your word would be changed by it, Father. I pray that hearts would be changed and minds would be enlightened to the glorious truths that are contained in your word. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when my wife and I were living in Louisville, we were renting kind of an old house and that old house uh, was, came along with a deal from the landlord. And he basically told us um, that if we would fix up anything that was wrong with the house, we would get a deal on our rent. And so we took this deal and we thought, you know what, we're, we're a young married couple. Uh, we're, trying to, we're trying to save money any way we can. I was in seminary at the time and my wife was actually still in college. And, and so we took the deal. And uh, so one day I noticed that the faucet that was in our kitchen sink was actually not functioning right. Something was wrong with it because there would be these puddles under the sink when you open the cabinets. And so I started to wonder to myself, I thought, is this a small thing that I could fix? Or is this something that I should let my landlord know about? Maybe he can take care of it, maybe he can fix it. And so what anybody my age would do, I, uh, I went to YouTube to see how I could fix it, if I could fix it. Now, mind you, this is just replacing a kitchen faucet. It, it isn't anything too technical. 
And so after five minutes on YouTube, I really realized that, you know, this is definitely a job for me. I can take care of this. I mean, this would take me at least 30 minutes tops. You know, the YouTube video was only 10 minutes. Multiply that by three, I figured I could take care of it. Um, and after about three days and three trips to Lowe's, I finally replaced the kitchen faucet. And I was actually really, really proud of it. You can ask my wife. I probably for two weeks uh, told everybody that I met that I had fixed our kitchen faucet. I had replaced our kitchen faucet. And now the kitchen faucet that I replaced, uh, it still worked though. We threw it away, we didn't need it anymore, but it actually still worked. It was still a kitchen faucet. When I replaced it, it was still a kitchen faucet and it still worked, but the problem is that it was broken. And because it was broken, it created a mess every time I used it. And if I kept using it, that mess would create even more problems by soaking the wood under the sink. And that would cause more problems and so I really think it's similar to the idea that we see in scripture about humanity. It's similar to what we see in Genesis 1 and it's similar to what we see in Ephesians 2. And so the main thing that I want us to take away tonight is that man was created in the image and likeness of God, but is fallen due to sin. So let's take a look at that first point from Genesis chapter one. Man was created in the likeness and in the image of God. If you look at verse 26, where we're starting, chapter one, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so that's the first thing we see when God creates man is that we're made in his image and in his likeness. And this is really the first thing, if you're to understand anything about humanity, if you're to understand anything about yourself, you have to understand first that you're made in the likeness and image of God. But that kind of raises the question, what exactly does it mean to be made in the likeness and in the image of God. I mean, he's God, right? How are we made in his likeness and in his image? Now, last week, we talked about how God is, is set apart and different from his creation. And really, the first way we see man being like God in his likeness and in his image is that we are created, set apart, and different from the rest of creation. I mean, you could take a look around and notice that humans are gifted with an intelligence. Although it's not perfect and comprehensive like God's, we are gifted with an intelligence that is different from the rest of creation. We use this intelligence to have speech with one another in a way that's different than the animals. I don't know if any, but any of you have grown up seeing the movie Dr. Doolittle, but that's just a movie. It's not real. Animals don't communicate like that, like humans do. 
Another way humans are different is that we appreciate beauty and goodness and are called to morality in a way that animals are not. Another thing about humans is that we're relational. We are created to be in relationship with one another and to fellowship with one another. Just as God exists in three, perfectly relating to each other in the Trinity, three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we were created to have relationships with others. And that point's actually not really something that we can see by observing, but we actually get that from the text because a little bit later in Genesis chapter two, God says that it's not good that man would be alone. So God gives him a helper. And this helper that he gives him, named Eve, they're to come together and be fruitful and multiply. It's not good for man to be alone. Man was created to have relationships. Another thing that makes humankind different and like God is that God works for six days in creation and then he rests. And what he gives mankind when he creates mankind what does he give him? He gives him work to do. Work the garden as you live in it. And there's all sorts of ways that we can find in the scripture and just by uh, looking around and seeing what humans do that, that reflect God. But you can get the picture of how we're created in the likeness and the image of God. We're not exactly like God. We, we don't have the things that God has given us in the same measure, but we are created, patterned after him. But not only are we created as a reflection of God, we're, we're also created to represent God. That's another thing that it means to be created in the image and the likeness of God. You see, in, ancient, in the ancient world, kings would create statues in their own image that would let people know that you had come into their kingdom. And this is the same language that Genesis uses when describing us being created in the likeness and the image of God. We're created to represent God on earth in our leadership and in our care for the world. But, but let's, keep, let's keep going. We actually see this in scripture. Look there. In verse 26, Genesis says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So humanity is created in the image and the likeness of God and humanity is given dominion over the earth. 
Because we're to represent God on earth and we're also to reflect his nature among creation. We work, we live, we lead the earth and fill the earth as God's creation and as God's representative and as as God's reflection. This is what it means to be created in the image and the likeness of God. And we're to do all these things as God would do them with goodness and with righteousness. We are created in the image and likeness of God, different than any of the other creation made to represent and reflect God. You know, I'm not a really big sports fan. Um, If you ever hear me talking about sports, it's more than likely because either my wife told me or it's because I researched it for a really long time. But when Kobe Bryant passed away uh, last year, there was a lot of reliving all of his best and greatest moments. And a lot of people notice that, you know, comparing Jordan to uh, Kobe's, his entire life was, was kind of unfair. And, and we just had this moment where we could really let it sink in about how great Kobe Bryant was. But it wasn't until this moment, it wasn't until he passed away that I saw a little clip uh, about Kobe and his dedication to the game. And one of the things that he dedicated himself to was actually studying Michael Jordan, studying Michael Jordan's film, studying his moves, studying everything about Michael Jordan so he could be just like Michael Jordan and better. And there was this really cool clip where they had taken two videos, one of Kobe and one of Michael Jordan, and they put them over each other and they just let it play. And you could see Kobe Bryant with the exact cadence and the exact moves mirroring Michael Jordan's fadeaway jump shot. And it was so cool to see that because you could really tell he studied Michael Jordan down to the minutia of his basketball moves. That's something that, that somebody who doesn't watch sports would say, a basketball move, but, but that's what I'm gonna call it. <laughs> but it was really cool, it was really cool to see. And Kobe's game really was his own. He had his own style, but you could see how he had patterned it after Michael Jordan. And I think that this idea, it really captures what I'm trying to say about how we're made in the image and the likeness of God. We're we're not God, but we are patterned after him. We're set apart like he's set apart. We are to live in morality like he has called us to be good, like he is good. We have an intellect rationality. We, we love beauty and goodness. We're created to be relational with one another. We're created to have relationships. But one of the things that we can't miss when we talk about being created in the image and likeness of God, you might be thinking again, as we talk about who God is and who man is, This is a really big theological idea, but what does it have to do with me? 
And I think it's of the utmost importance to understand the image of God because it means that as humans, we are given an inherent worth by God. Being made in the image of God means that you are set apart from the rest of creation and you have a worth and dignity that should not be violated. But when we think about that, usually we, we think about that as it, regard, as, as it pertains to us. We think about, I am made in the image of God. I am special. I am, am so loved and adored by God. And that's true. But really, I, I want us to see how the image of God really should help us to think about others, right? Because it's not just you and I, as we think about ourselves, that are made in the image of God, but, but it's the person that you don't like who is made in the image of God. It, it's the person that annoys you that is made in the image of God. And, and that's why we as Christians, that's why we understand why murder and oppression and racism and abortion and abuse are so evil, right? It's because they violate the image of God created in people. And, and these issues are moral issues, but they're not just moral. They're actually theological because if you understand humans as created in the image of God, you understand to violate that is to rebel against God himself. All of humanity are made in the image of God. But sometimes we might think of those big theological moral issues and you're like, yes, that's right. I, I don't do any of those things. I don't murder. But let's just Take it a step back. Because Jesus says that if you hate in your heart, you are a murderer at heart. And, and not just that, when we think about the image of God in other people, we think about the dignity of each person. And so that should drive us to ask ourselves, how do we treat each and every person? Do we treat each person as if they're made in the image of God? Do you treat the person who cleans your school in the image as they are made in the image of God? What, what about people who serve you at restaurants and, and people who serve you in retail stores? Maybe, maybe there are jobs that you are glad that you do not have to do. We all have jobs that we can think of like that. Do, do you treat those people as made in the image of God? Or do you treat them like you're above them? God would not have that for you. I think we can see this even as we come to school and, and even as we think about college and how we're living. Do we treat professors that we disagree with? Maybe they say something in class that really offends you. Do you still treat those whom you disagree with like they're made in the image of God? 
I think we're all tempted in some way to find someone that we can look down on to make ourselves feel better. But beloved, understand that each and every person you meet is made in the image of God. And God would have you find your worth not in looking down on someone else, but looking to him as whose image you were created in. Do you look at all people like God made them to reflect him? You should. You should. But not only that, we're created in the likeness and the image of God, but I also want us to see that man is fallen. Humanity was created in the likeness and image of God, but also man is fallen in sin. Let's move to Ephesians chapter two. I'll give you a, a minute to get there. Ephesians chapter two, we'll begin in verse one. I want you to go ahead and get there, but we're gonna bounce around a little bit. Because we started in Genesis one, but what do we see happen just two chapters later? In Genesis three, Adam, the first man who was created sins. And because he sins, the whole world falls into disrepair. And his sin actually affects every single person in this room. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. If you're still looking for Ephesians, you're good. You're on the right track. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 puts it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So not only does Adam sin in Genesis chapter 3, but we see that all who are sons and daughters of Adam are born sinners because of this. This is, this is what theologians and, and pastors and teachers refer to as the fall. Capital T, capital F, the fall. What happened in Genesis chapter 3 affected the entire world. Pain and sorrow entered the world because of this. The world that God made good, what we learned last week, this majestic creator God, the world that he made good became imperfect and broken. And the mankind that was created to represent God failed. Mankind failed to represent God and reflect God. And so how does this fall affect mankind? We finally make it to Ephesians 2. What does it mean to be born in sin as, as we read from Romans chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through, 3, 1 through 3, 
is actually Paul describing a Christian, but before they put their faith and trust in Christ. So what's the first way that we're described here? After the fall, before Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So how are we described? We're described as being dead in our sins. But it's kind of strange because there are people here who have trusted in Christ and people here who haven't trusted in Christ, but nobody's actually dead, right? We all woke up, brushed our teeth, came here, we're sitting, breathing. So, so what does it mean to be dead? Well, what Paul's referring to here is that we're spiritually dead. Before we come to Christ, we're, we're spiritually dead. But what does that mean? Well, what it means is that a, being spiritually dead means that you do not desire the things of God. And it also means that you cannot turn to God on your own, of your own power. But why do I say that you don't desire the things of God? How would I know that about someone who isn't trusting in Christ yet? You might say, I desire some of the things of God. Let's keep reading. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So without Christ, the lifestyle that you live in is in the spiritual deadness of your sin in which you once walked. But, but let's keep reading. Following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So not only before Christ, it, it is sin, the lifestyle that we walk in. But Paul says that it's actually the pattern of the entire world. So this is why when we, when we speak about the fight against sin, we normally speak about it in three categories. We're fighting against our flesh, we're fighting against the world, and we're fighting against the devil. Those things would all draw us away from Christ and toward sin. But what we read here is that before we come to Christ, we aren't struggling against the flesh, against the world, and against the devil. We are walking lockstep with them. Before you repent and trust in Christ, you're actually walking with your flesh, with the devil, with the world, unopposed in your life. The, the passions of the flesh are followed unopposed. But let's keep reading as if we needed to keep reading, but let's go on. Paul continues, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So 
we see that it's a lifestyle. It's a way in which you walk. Paul's speaking to Christians here. So if you're a Christian and you're listening, it's the way in which you walked. And it's all consuming, body and mind. Nothing is spared. So that, that really covers whether or not you desire the things of God. If your body and mind are corrupted by sin and following the flesh, the world, and the devil as a lifestyle, you don't desire the things of God. But what about what I said about not being able to turn to God on your own? Where, where does that come in? Well, I think the first way we can understand that and the, the first way we see that in the text is that Paul describes us as spiritually dead. We, we don't have the ability to follow God if we're dead. But if we keep going and when we get to verse 5, we also see that for those who are saved, it is because God being rich in mercy makes us alive. And then if you keep going, Paul says that God does this so that no man may boast. Spiritually dead that God has to make alive. And the reason that God makes you alive without any of your work, without any of your help, is so that you cannot boast. And he gets the glory for salvation. But there is a little bit of good news. I mean, if we dive deeply into the depravity of man and into how sin has affected mankind, it can get a little bit depressing. But I don't want to leave you with this idea that mankind is as bad as it can get. Right? Because we walk through this world and there are people who have not turned to Christ who are nice to us. There are people who aren't believers who treat us well and are kind to us. So what Paul is saying here that when people are spiritually dead, they don't desire the things of God. He, he's not saying that every single person is as evil as they can be. But he's saying as it relates to God and the things of God spiritually, they're still dead. The common grace of God restrains the sin in this world to make it bearable, that you might see some of the goodness in this world and it would lead you to repentance. It, it would lead you to see that God had made a good world and that you weren't living for him. So if we see humanity that way, that's pretty bad news, although it's not as bad as it can get. But I want us to see just one more thing. And this is really something that you must understand if you're going to understand the gospel. It's that last phrase in verse 3. 
carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what we see here is Paul's describing us as spiritually dead, and, and we just dived into what that means, but he's not just describing what we are, but he also mentions what we deserve. Because of our sin and our rebellion against God, we, we deserve God's righteous punishment. Because of how we violate and distort the image of God that we were created to reflect, we, we store up wrath against ourselves. And that is why the gospel is so glorious. Because when we keep going in Ephesians, we see but God. And how does Paul describe God after describing us? In such sad and bleak terms, he describes God as rich in mercy. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he makes us alive. And he does it because he poured that wrath out on his son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. All the things that are described here, following after our own passions in the flesh, following after the world and its ways, following after Satan, the prince of the power of the air, it can be forgiven in Christ. And that's why we worship God. That's why we're allowed and able to come before God in prayer. Because we've been forgiven much. And we can be forgiven much. Paul doesn't leave us there. And God doesn't leave us there. If you've ever noticed, our culture is right now kind of obsessed with zombies. Maybe for the last 20 years, I mean, there's more zombie movies and there's more zombie shows. Even in Call of Duty, you can just shoot zombies. I don't know how that works, but I know it's a thing. <laughs> and I mean, I even find it funny how good these movies are getting at tricking you into thinking it's not a zombie movie. It's just like, oh, brother is sick. And then like five minutes later, he's trying to eat the family. You know, it's weird. But I think that these zombie movies and zombies in general are really a good illustration for what it means to be spiritually dead. Because in zombie movies, you, you see zombies walk around, walking dead. You see them grunting and make noises. They look like they're doing things, but they're clearly not human. They're clearly 
dead. And this is, can be a metaphor. It can be similar to how Ephesians is describing us before Christ. We're spiritually dead. There's, we're walking and moving and living and just following after the vile pleasures of our flesh, but we're not really alive, right? We're not alive to God. And we see that just like in a zombie movie, there's nothing that you can really do for a zombie. And in our spiritual deadness and inability, there, there's nothing much that we can do but God being rich in mercy makes us alive in his son. So, whoa, humanity, right? It's heavy. And so I want to just do some more application for you. Because if you're a Christian, verses like this should give you a double dose of humility. Paul explicitly says here in Ephesians, this is so that no man should boast. And some of you in here, you may be growing in grace. You may be growing in the things of God. And, and being on a college campus, you might be tempted to think, you know what? There really is something different about me. There really is something a little bit good that I was kind of born with that I follow God. Beloved, that is not how the Bible describes us. We are to be humble because we know that when we see others who are following headlong in their sin, that that is us. Save the grace of God. Maybe you don't think that. Maybe you don't think that there's something special in you. Maybe you just kind of are glad that you are not like them now as you presently walk. You know, I did those things. I was a sinner. But now I've really come to see the error of my ways and I just don't understand. But Paul says that you, if you are a Christian, were made alive. Only changed because of the grace of God in your life. Paul says that we were just like the rest of mankind. Even if you were saved at an early age, your, your sin lumped you in with the rest of mankind. So no one should boast in what the Lord has done in their life. It is the grace of God that no man should boast. 
But I want to make another application to Christians as, as we're in a room with so many who are gifted in the ability to sing and the ability to teach and who are on fire for evangelism and reaching the world for Christ. Brothers and sisters, we can never be good enough. We can never teach well enough. We can never sing good enough. We can never share the gospel perfectly so that people come to Christ. It is all of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't strive for excellence in everything that we do. We've been learning about how God's a majestic creator and we're patterned after him. There is something in us that strives for excellence, but we can never stake the changing of souls on our ability. But lastly, I must say this. If you haven't trusted in Christ, don't hear this as a mean-spirited attack. But really, Ephesians here is describing you. It isn't describing you at an earlier point in your life, but before you've given yourself to Christ, it's describing you now. In your sin, dead to God spiritually. But maybe if that's true of you today, maybe Ephesians chapter 4 could also be true of you. Verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You can be saved. If you feel desires for God, even this moment, don't ignore it. It could be God making you alive. Through the death of his son, God offers forgiveness. so that we wouldn't be left in our sin and in our brokenness. Through the death of his only son that he sent to die in the place of sinners. So that we wouldn't be left spiritually dead, but the Bible says that we would be a new creation in Christ at peace with God. And the Bible says that day by day in our walk with Christ, he's renewing our minds into the image of his son. So that image that was broken and marred in us because of sin, 
God renews and restores. If you feel God is making you alive, I want you to talk to me after the service. And Christian, if you've been puffed up because of your salvation, in Christ, there's forgiveness for all things. I'm gonna pray for us and I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. If there's anybody who has questions, come speak to me. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the fact that our sins can be forgiven in the light of your mercy and grace. Father, thank you for giving us, as Christians, your spirit so that we can be renewed day by day as we walk closer and closer to the way that you originally created us to be. And not only closer to that original creation, but God, that you say that we would be glorified just like your son on the last day. And it's that day that we look forward to and that we long for and that we want to invite others in to experience the day when all things are made new, all things are restored. There's no more pain and sorrow, sin or brokenness and we're seated on high with Christ, our King. Lord, we pray that that day would come quickly. We pray that your spirit would move. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.